Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Ephesians 5, 6 through 11. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. At the end of chapter four, Paul has finished telling his readers to put away falsehoods, anger, and corrupting speech, urging the Ephesians to be kind and forgive one another. As he moves into chapter five, he calls the church to be imitators of Christ and to walk in love because of Christ's offering for us. He continues to call on the believers to put off filthiness, both bodily through sexual immorality and in speech, removing foolish talk and crude joking. These behaviors lead to verse 6, where Paul tells the Ephesians that these things are the reason that God's wrath comes upon the sons of disobedience. Our challenge as believers in Christ is to not become partakers with them, though we so easily fall into these types of sins. Because, as Paul says, we were darkness, but we are now light. Our very nature as believers has been transformed. We are no longer children of wrath, but sons of the Father, adopted and engrafted into Christ our head. As children of light, we are called to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, seeking the fruit of light, which is found in what is good, right, and true. We are called to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but to expose them. As a people of God, we need to remember our state of being, no longer sons of disobedience, but children of light, redeemed and set free from the works of darkness. Let us live then like redeemed people that we are, seeking the fruit of light and righteousness, walking in wisdom and love for one another. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Father, we have, you, you have given to us your precious word, and we've been reading it. We turn to it once again. We pray that you would have our minds be sharp, our hearts be soft, uh, that we might uh, understand uh, what you have to teach us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the husband is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, 
that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So the the series is, How Now Shall We Live? As Francis Schaeffer uh, put it so well a generation ago. And we're turning now to the institution of marriage. God has a specific design for marriage, which fits with Christ's redeeming us and with our loving our neighbor as ourselves also. Uh, Just one note of introduction, and then we're going to dive into the deep end. And that is, this is almost uh, completely all about marriage. So some of you sitting in the room aren't married. Some of you are looking to be married soon. Some Some of this may not directly apply, but realize that all of these principles... Uh, it, it apply to the, um, to the unmarried as well in various um, Christian covenant uh, how-to-live kinds of ways. So uh, with that in mind, let's, let's dive in here. The, the context first, remember, we often like to go straight to verse 22 and, and we see those first two words, wives submit, and we start explaining and teaching about that right away. I want to point out the context. Uh, as we're looking at Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, look back at the beginning of verse 4, Uh, Verse 2, all lowliness and gentleness with long-suffering, bear with one another, be unified, right? Uh, These general Christian principles uh, focus in on marriage and apply to marriage. So, for example, guys, when your wife has a lot to tell you uh, and she has uh, much to say in the evening and you think that there's a lot to do around the house, remember that it's usually an act of love to listen, to track with what she's saying, to sympathize, right? Be be unified, uh, be um, in all lowliness and gentleness uh, with her. Let her joys be yours. Let her frustrations be yours. Uh, And then when there are decisions to make, you're already taking her perspective into account, and she knows it. So that's one idea. The other, at the, the verse just before where we started, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's a general Christian principle. We ought to be uh, engaging in mutual deference, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, But some examples. Uh, For example, let's say you're having a misunderstanding or a disagreement with another church member, and you go and you're willing to apologize and to make it right uh, more than you want them to see it your way. That's one important thing. Or consider another example in the book of Philemon. Right? Paul writes to slave owner Philemon, And he asks him to receive back his runaway slave, Onesimus. Receive him back as a brother in Christ, not as a slave. Right? That's that's a big ask. He had run away from him, stolen things too. And and he's saying, Philemon, don't stand on your legal right to Onesimus. 
Uh, instead, submit to Paul's request. Defer to uh, Onesimus's profession of faith as changing the whole relationship. That's, that's um, submitting to one another in love. In that kind of example, you have someone in authority who's submitting to the one under him. And that's something that, uh, that the New Testament calls us towards many times. Uh, but let's look at the text now, uh, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And I'm just going to jump in the deep end here and not um, try to explain anything away. Uh, let's, what does this mean, submit? What does that look like? Well, let's say as a couple you talked last night about whether Johnny should get braces or if he needs to go to the doctor. And she doesn't really think that they need to do that. And he's thinking, yeah, I think maybe we do. Let's sleep on it. And so the next morning he says, honey, please make an appointment for Johnny to go to the doctor. Well, you've talked it through. And wife, you're, you're not quite sure that it's necessary, but maybe it's time to submit. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's an example where the man initiates a decision. Now, leadership and submission can also go the other way. If you uh, look at Numbers 30, I'm not going to go there right now, but it's good to consult uh, maybe this afternoon. There it says that a wife or a daughter may make a resolution themselves, but the husband, the father, has supervision of that. So the wife may say, I'm going to give $1,000 to church this Sunday. Or I'm going to only buy gluten-free vegan groceries for the family from now on. Right? The husband has authority to consider that and to say, no, I don't think so. That's Numbers chapter 30. Uh, so, or he might approve and say, yeah, go for it. So submission doesn't mean that the wife never initiates. She, she might very well propose, do things. But on bigger issues like that, uh, the husband needs to be consulted and, and to approve. So Why? Why is that? Notice that in verse 22, uh, Paul very quickly goes to explain why. Uh, possibly because this is countercultural, though I don't know if that it was back then. Wives, submit to your husbands. Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. The man is the head of the wife. This means that he's responsible for what the body, what the family does. So when the eye sees the finger is bleeding, then the head, the eye, needs to move the body to deal with the wound. That's, that's the head being the head, right? The, the eyes and the brain figure out what needs to happen. Husbands, how would you behave differently if every problem in the house, you think, that's up to me to fix? The head's got to get it fixed. It has to keep the body functioning. I'm the covenantal head. Now, that doesn't mean you have to micromanage everything, but you need to see to it that the body does its thing to fix the problem. And wives, think of it the other way. You're not the head, the husband is. So how would you behave differently if you remember, my husband is going to have to own all of my decisions today. How I spank our toddler, how I gossip with my friend, how I treat the checkout clerk at Meyer because we're united, and he's my head. See, I think God sets up marriage in a hierarchy like this uh, to raise the stakes in accountability. If the wife messes up, the husband is also in trouble. And if the husband messes up, 
He's a hypocrite for leading his family God's way, but living his own way. It raises the stakes. This is part of God's design. This is covenantal thinking in marriage, and it's critical. Covenantal thinking. A lot of people will use that word covenant to describe marriage, but they really just mean this is really, really serious. That's not the right way to use the word covenant. Okay? Covenant is a specifically structured relationship that God puts us in without consulting us on the structure. <laughs> That's a covenant. Right? God didn't consult us in making Jesus our prophet, priest, and king. He simply has made it so. God did not consult us in setting up the church with elders and deacons and members. God didn't consult us in making us male and female and instituting the estate of marriage. He gives us the instructions. He makes us a certain way. So, so as we consider this, you can play it like a toddler. Um, pretend you're a toddler and you keep asking why. Ever have little ones do this? You keep asking why and then you have to ask the next question and explain again. Try it that way. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Why? Because the man is the head of the wife. Why? Because God wants to keep us accountable. Why? Because we're all connected to each other deeply. If I mess up, I'm going to mess you up. Why? Because the world is a Trinitarian place. Man is a head. That's a picture of Christ and the church. Now I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but you get the idea. So, wives, submit to your uh, husbands because the man is the head. There's a covenantal relationship here. Uh, husbands, verse 25, love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. So this doesn't just mean to be nice and tender and love her on her terms. Sometimes that's needed. But men, you need to lay your life down for her. Like Jesus went to the cross. C.S. Lewis writes about this somewhere. Very good. He, he says, men, your marriage should look and feel to you like a crucifixion sometimes. You, you lay your life down. You work yourself to the bone to give her what she needs. And she needs a lot. She needs a roof over her head, and she needs affection and assurance that you love her. She needs a kitchen that works, and she needs you engaged with the family in prayer and Bible reading. She needs cars that work, and a father who's involved with her children. She needs a breadwinner to provide these physical things, and she needs a spiritual leader to love and to nurture and direct his family well. She needs to be in the Word herself. So be saying to her, hey, let's read the Bible together. Let's pray together. There's a lot here, and this is a high calling with great rewards. Now that leads many young people today to buy into the world, that the, buy into the lie that Satan tells to the world, to all of us, that in marriage there's just burdens and brokenness. And a lot of us have faced that in our extended families, maybe our parents, uh, marriage has, has just been a, a bit of, sometimes it's been a wreck. And, and we see that, and it, gives, it makes us gun-shy. Uh, so many, many people just don't get married, or they get married very late. And I just want to urge you young people, young men and women, don't buy into that. Just because it's a high calling, it, it's not impossible. It doesn't mean you should wait until you're 30 and you're really ready. No, God will grow you immensely in marriage. So pursue it now, or, or when people around you say that you're ready. 
Don't buy the world's lie. The, the world buys another lie of Satan. That headship means that the man just sits in an easy chair and dictates to the family what to do. No, the man gives more direction in what the family will do, yes, but he leads by example in doing it. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. A line from the church's one foundation came to mind. When you think of that, how did Christ love the church? And the line came to me, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. So husbands, die to yourself, and God will raise you up. So uh, on to verse 29, once again, Paul explains why. You get that little word for, F-O-R, again. Why, why this way? And it's really the same answer as you get with the wives. Uh, but it's with, with a little bit of a twist. Uh, be, now the answer is, is because you are united with her as one flesh. That's why you love your wives. So this is the same answer, really, but it's, but it's a little different, right? To the wives, God tells you, hey, your husband is your head. There the focus is on uh, direction, right? The, the head tells the brain, uh, the head or the brain tells the rest of the body what to do, right? So, so the focus there for the wives is, hey, you need to be open to direction from your husband's. But here, to the husbands, God doesn't say, so get really good at giving directions. That's not what God says. No, he says, nourish her and cherish her. She's the same body with you, one flesh. When the head tells the body to help the finger with its wound, it shouldn't berate the finger for being so stupid and touching the stove or whatever it is, right? The head has systems in place so that the finger gets to safety right away, that she gets the care that she needs. The head sends signals, uh, okay, we're not going to get hurt in that way again. Let's remember not to do that next time. The head learns how to protect the body over time. And that's something uh, that I'd encourage you young people, younger husbands as well. Consider yourselves kind of like that toddler who doesn't realize there's a hot stove there, right? That when we're growing in marriage, when we've been married for one year or five years, there are things we don't know yet about how to protect your body, how to protect your budding family. And you can probably learn a few things about how from the older fathers, the older, uh, the older husbands and wives around you. That's the body of Christ at work too. That's why we read from Titus 2. Uh, that, that, Paul goes into that uh, with Titus. Same for younger wives and moms. Learn from others how to do things better for your own family. That's the Holy Spirit at work in the body of Christ. Uh, young women can be looking to their mothers and to other women in the church to see how wives and moms act and, and what they can do. Uh, what they, the, the, we are examples to each other. So that, that's the why. Just a quick summary, and then I'll do a bit of application too. Uh, the summary is in verse 33. Husbands and wives, you, you probably each have something a little different to work on. And God gives different directions to men and women. Now, I don't think, it's the, I don't think the point here is that um, husbands never have to respect their wives and that wives don't have to love their husbands. The point is that it, those are the easier things for us to do. 
it, it goes a bit against our grain, our nature, uh, for wives to respect their husbands. That's a little harder than loving them. It's, it's easy for a husband to respect all that his wife does, but to, but to express love is sometimes more difficult. So wives, respect your husband's position and authority. Don't assume that you're right because you're thinking it and saying it and expect him to do what you want. Show him why you're right. Explain, that's fine, but not by haranguing or ranting or nagging, but with good reasons. And then defer to his judgment. Husbands, you have to listen when your wives uh, persuade, when they speak. Uh, this is what David does when Abigail intercepts him. Remember that story? I think it's 1 Samuel 25. David is off to kill everybody in Nabal's house because he's in a hot rage. And Abigail intercepts him and gives this big, long speech with, with hundreds of fire-breathing warriors at David's back, ready for the kill. And Abigail steps in and says, please, please. And she, long speech, explains why he shouldn't do all of this. And David doesn't go the machismo route and say, I don't have to listen to you, woman. Get out of my way. I'm on the battlefield. That's not manly. No, he listens to her argument. He sees that it's sound. And he changes his course. That's being a man. <laughs> Not dismissing her input as too emotional. Uh, as, or assuming she doesn't see the whole picture. At which we men are often tempted to think. So husbands need to love their wives to listen to them. And scripture is very balanced here. Sometimes like with David and in the Proverbs, we see uh, that we need to listen to lady wisdom, right? There are other times God rebukes the man and says something like, because you listened to the voice of your wife, you went astray. And here's the consequences. That happens more than once, not just in the garden. It happens several times. Learn as a married couple to search out the truth together in longer conversations that don't get hostile or accusatory, but that try to understand the other's perspective. In Genesis 27, we read that today. That's uh, part of the Into the Word. I'm doing the Bible reading challenge. I don't know if any of the rest of you are, but that was one of the readings this week. And in that text, one thing that went wrong there is Isaac decided to bless Esau on his own, right? They had... God had told them that Jacob is to be the one to receive the blessing. But now, near the end of his life, Isaac, on his own, just decides, I'm going to bless Esau. And Rebekah's not involved. He doesn't tell her about it. She happens to overhear it, right? So Esau, uh, Jacob's going to go against God's decision um, that, that Jacob's going to have the blessing. Uh, so Rebekah was put in a tight spot. Do I let my husband do something against God without doing something? And Isaac didn't love his wife by including her in his plans. Rebekah didn't respect Isaac. She goes and deceives him with Jacob pretending to be Esau. Husbands, don't put your wife in this position where because of your stubborn direction against God, she has to figure a way to obey God herself without you or against you. That's what we see in Scripture a few times. It's not good. So wives, respect your husband. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. She needs to know your care for her. She needs to know that you know what she needs, what she likes. 
She needs to see you work to give it to her. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus gives uh, to his bride, the church, in his death and resurrection for our new life, that Christ loves the church. So a bit of application. Uh, One thing we should remember in marriage is unconditional obedience. Unconditional obedience. We need to obey these uh, verses regardless of what's going on. Make your marriage behavior all about obedience to Christ, not about reacting to the other person, right? Why doesn't he do this for me? She'll ask and and wonder all day long. Or, Or he says, why can't she see that? And we get frustrated with each other, and then we act out of that frustration. Men, don't focus on how your wife disrespects you. Focus on how you can love her, regardless if she's not respecting you. Wives, don't focus on how your husband doesn't love you. Focus on how you can respect him. And make that as unconditional as possible in your heart. If you'll, it's not that if he's nice to me, then I'll respect him. You need to respect him anyway. That's with the First Peter 3 passage. When your husband's without a word. Make it as unconditional as possible. Jesus didn't wait for his bride to respect him before he went and laid down his life for her. Stop waiting for your spouse to treat you right, and then you'll change. No, we need to uh, do the right thing because we're doing it before the Lord, not just before our spouses. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. There's even a very extreme example of this in the book of Hosea. God has Hosea go to the extreme of teaching us this by having him marry a harlot. And he's showing God's unconditional love for Israel. Now, there are limits to this in earthly marriage. You don't go on respecting your husband if he's continuing to philander or physically abuse you. Uh, But not too many of us are in that situation, so don't jump to that extreme exception every time you you feel put out by your spouse. Uh, Some men think they have to go... uh, When we think about men leading and being the head, uh, another point of application, some men think that to lead, they have to go against their wife to be really leading her. Uh, And on the other extreme, some can't imagine ever going against their wife. She would be deeply offended, and you'd be in the doghouse. And both of those are bad examples of leading. Leading is not making the decision by yourself against your group. Leadership is not doing whatever your group wants, right? Neither of those are right. So seek out her wisdom. Uh, A wife has a wisdom that husbands don't have. Uh, That doesn't mean she's smarter than you. Uh, We often forget to say it the other way around, too, because we live in a deeply feminist world today. But men have a wisdom, a way of seeing things that women don't generally have. It's true both ways. So the point isn't to always defer to her. Make room for mutual deference. You know, he says, I think we need to sell the house and move. But if you're strongly opposed, honey, tell me why, and maybe you're right. And she says, I am strongly opposed, and here's why. But maybe you're right, and you've and you got to work to figure that out. So God made us man and woman. Uh, we're not a different species. Sometimes um, teaching on marriage and men and women kind of implies that. But, but we do experience the world very differently, generally. 
But we each are made in the image of God. So when the Bible says man is the glory of God, woman is the glory of man, 1 Corinthians 11, that doesn't mean God's more important than man and man is more important than woman. That's not what the glory of is all about. Uh, To say that she's the weaker vessel in 1 Peter 3, it doesn't mean she's the inferior being to be patronized. That's not the point of that verse. It's that she's a delicate vase, and it means you need to be careful how you handle and care for her. So that God has made us different, differently. Um, so just, just to wind up, leadership and submission, these, these are one aspect of marriage. Another important one we don't talk about often enough, just because this is the controversial one, and this is Ephesians 5, where Ephesians 5 goes. But companionship in marriage is uh, vital, and it's something that God institutes marriage for, right? Genesis 2, it's not good that the man should be alone. So uh, companionship, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 talks about uh, husbands and wives, make sure you don't deprive each other. Uh, It's important to be together physically. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, not just in his headship and his sacrifice for us, but in the goal of Christ's work. What was that goal? Reunited fellowship with no hindrances. That's the goal of marriage. So uh, that's the idea. That the, the point of uh, marriage isn't just to have a, a husband leading and that picture is Christ. That's part of the picture. But it's also fellowship and companionship together. That's part of the picture of, of the Trinity of God in fellowship and how people are supposed to be. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32 of our text. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. God has a specific design for marriage here, and it fits. It's showing us that picture of Christ redeeming us, of loving one another. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would uh, continue to uh, reveal your purpose and your plan to us. You've given us your word. There's, there are many riches to uh, plumb the depths of, and here we see the riches of marriage. We pray, Lord, for those who are married, uh, that you would uh, work in uh, those marriages uh, to root out any weeds, any roots of bitterness, uh, any difficulties, or there are often long-standing frustrations or arguments. We pray, Lord, that that you would bring wisdom to husbands and wives uh, to seek and pursue peace with one another. We pray for those who are uh, looking to marriage soon, that you would provide, that you would be uh, a God who provides, uh, that you would have us looking to you in faith and in trust. Uh, Give us wise and discerning hearts as we uh, consider uh, that prospect. We pray, Lord, for those who have been hurt by marriage, who who have faced broken marriages. Lord, grant us your grace, especially, uh, that you would point us uh, to your perfect plan. We are imperfect people who uh, live in the institution of marriage and with it uh, in various frustrating and sinful ways, but it is a a glorious design that you've given us. So help us to continue to come back uh, to your uh, goal, uh, to build up the marriages around us as best we can. Lord, all this we pray in the name of Christ. 
for scripture, I'm going to read just the opening litany once again from the Song of Solomon verses. Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. In this worship service, especially at this table, we are renewing covenant with our God. In marriage, there are times your relationship is refreshed and revitalized. A date night out, the marriage act itself, a vacation away together, a really good long talk, and you're closer, you're more in love again, as we say. And God intends that for us with him in this table, at this worship service. So as we sang last week, hasten as a bride to meet him, with loving reverence greet him. Jesus, son of life, my splendor. Jesus, thou my friend most tender. Jesus, joy of my desiring, fount of life, my soul inspiring. So come, for all things are now ready. The body of Christ, broken for you. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C H R I S T. K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.